week later, Republicans are still trying to fully figure out what uh, Governor Tony Evers has put in this massive budget uh, proposal of his, and massive is the key word. We're getting a better understanding of the kinds of initiatives, the kind of spending, the kind of expansion of government that we're seeing, and uh, someone who has been uh, quite critical so far of that expansive budget is State Senator Dewey Strobel, Republican Sockville, our guest today on MacGyver Newsmakers. Good day, sir. Thank you so much Hello, for being here. Appreciate Glad it. Glad to be here. Uh, let me begin with a, a tweet that you'd sent out today. I think this kind of sums up your position and where you stand on the Evers budget at this point. Without raising taxes a single penny, Governor Evers could cut middle-class taxes, reduce road bonding, and increase K-12 funding, but his first instinct is to stick his hand out for more of your hard-earned money. Obviously, you're referring to the excess revenue that we're projecting, of course, coming up over the next two years, something that uh, Republicans have talked about with the middle-class tax cut, how to pay for it. Obviously, Republicans differ from the governor on that point and on many others with this budget. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, that thought and, and uh, where you go from sure. here. Well, the irony here is we've got a new governor coming in, and there couldn't be a better situation in terms of our economy in the state of Wisconsin and where we are today. You can't imagine a better, a better place to be. And, you know, is this just the gut reaction of liberals who come in and say, you know what? We just need to spend more. If, if he really took the time to look at our budget, to see the successes, he would see the, um, you know, the surplus that we've developed here, the positioning that we are in, the economic growth that we're seeing. And I think you would look back at the last eight years and you'd say, okay, what generated that? What made this happen? Mm -hmm. What made this economy grow the way it did? What made our unemployment level as low as it is? What made our average wages increase more than what the United States is, what makes our labor participation rate is so high as it is, what makes us a state now when we previously had a problem of not having enough jobs, we don't have enough people now. So, you know, that's really what we're looking at. Um, you know, the Tax Foundation, when, when uh, Walker came in, I think we were like 48, 47, something like that. Mm -hmm. Now we're 34. And look at the results of that. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Seeing the positive results going from 47 to 34, you'd think, okay, let's keep moving in that direction. We'll continue to see more positive results. Unfortunately, we have a governor that just wants to roll those things back, not only in spending, but in policy. I mean, when you read this document, it's like turning over a rock. You can't imagine what you're going to find next in this thing. Uh, it, it's really something else. What is it in the budget that worries you or concerns you the most? And I know you've talked about a number of these areas. You know, I, I had a conversation with State Representative San Filippo recently uh, on another topic, but he said, um, I can't tell you how many people uh, from special interest who've come into my office, you know, from one nonprofit or another, who told me, yeah, we, we pitched our ideas, our, you know, our spending needs to the governor, and he says, yep, we're going to give it to you. Uh, it just seems like everything is now on the table. You know, fiscal responsibility based on this budget has gone out the door. But what areas in particular are you concerned about? Well, I, I mean, spending, obviously, you know, when we're looking at the massive increases that we've got here. And I understand and I value that 
the big part of my job here is all, it's about education. And to me, education is, is of utmost importance. It's about our next generation. And it's kind of interesting that last session, we put historic additional amounts into education. I mean, it just blew me away, quite frankly. I can't say I was necessarily a big supporter of it. Uh, but that did nothing for the governor, did nothing in the education community. And in fact, it was not enough in the end, although it was historically high. Well, now to look at what was once a historic high amount, about over $600 million in additional funds for education, I believe that this budget here, we're talking $1.5 billion over the base. Now, what are we getting for that? I mean, I like to spend money when I see you get results and you, you change things. But have we been getting better results in education? You know, what improvements have we been seeing? You know, I think we need to be more critical of this spending and, and seeing really where we're going with it. And the irony of it is we need more money for public education, but yet look at the choice and in, in, in charter program there. They're getting less money. So those are the most needy, most, quite frankly, you know, a group that we really have to focus on providing a better future for, and they're being disregarded. Now we talk about, Tony Evers talks about, um, you know, helping the ones who are most in need in our state here. Well, if you ask me, this education budget turns its back on those because those people are, are almost exclusively served by our, our charter and our choice schools and the voucher program and so on, and they are being cut when others are not. To me, I just that just doesn't add up. State Senator Dewey Strobel joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Yeah, you, you point to um, what clearly is a provision or uh, initiatives in this budget that are giveaways to uh, one constituency or another. Uh, there are people who are going to benefit a great deal from this budget. Um, the unions in this state, organized labor, uh, whether that be the public sector or the private sector, uh, those who, the, the big union bosses who want to see forced union dues, for instance, with the repeal of right to work, which is proposed in this uh, budget, or they uh, don't want to see the kind of reforms to prevailing wage that uh, the legislature and Governor Scott Walker put on the table over the last eight years. Project labor agreements. Uh, you were quoted recently in MacGyver News Service piece uh, expressing concerns about um, who gets paid in this budget and what that will mean to taxpayers and what that will mean to local governments who will you know, have to deal with the rising costs that they dealt with for years before these kinds of reforms. Can you expound on that? Well, yeah, as an elected official, it's my job to see that we use those limited taxpayer resources as efficiently as possible. And I think we also have to think of it in the context is we have a governor that I think a less than a week before the election said he will not raise taxes. Well, you know, he got elected by special interests by predominantly the push out of Dane and Milwaukee counties. And obviously the special interests are embedded more so in those counties than anywhere. And when you look at that, you know, there needs to be a answering to those special interests that put him there. And so when you look at right to work, prevailing wage, project labor agreements, um, fed swap, 
another issue. It's all about efficiency in government. And don't we want our government to be most efficient? Don't we want them to deliver the most services possible in as cost-effective manner as we can? Mm -hmm. But yet, really, when you look at these things, it's doing just the opposite. You know, prevailing wage, I I was a big um, battler on that issue not all that long ago because it was quite apparent. Why should we pay more for government services uh, than everybody else does. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense uh, unless you are concerned with kneeling at the altar of special interests, i.e. unions, and that's really what we're going on here. I represent everybody in what I do and not these special interests, and what I need to do is make sure that we do deliver these services as efficiently and effectively as we can. And, you know, these policies are going in that totally opposite direction, and I'm going to fight those. You, uh, in your text, we talked about at the outset of the interview, you talk about if the governor would, and his administration, program in the money that is expected. We already know, we're, we're already looking at almost $600 million in excess revenue already. And we project, you know, uh, up to, uh, what, a billion point, $1.2 billion uh, over the, the two-year period. If that is the case, then yes, uh, the question is, why not use that surplus? He is. He's using every bit of it in this budget. But I would uh, suggest to you, sir, that if he uh, would begin, would, would use the budget surplus, he, he, there's no way he could pay for the increases he has in K-12 mm-hmm. education, $1.4 billion. There's no way he could pay for uh, the, the road construction, $600 million he's got in this biennial budget. Uh, the surplus is just, you know, the tip of the iceberg in terms of the revenue that would be required to operate the government under this budget proposal. Well, the Fiscal Bureau can't even calculate the impact of this budget, really, because many of these items in here, the policy will lead to additional spending. When you look at the levy limit situation that, that he's proposed, um, the rejiggering of the school funding formula, while at the same time, holding all schools harmless. No school will get less. Schools will only get more. And so, again, it's very difficult to even begin to, to judge the magnitude of, of what this budget does. And that's why I'm an advocate for, you know, we must remember in November that we still were sent back historic majorities in our Senate and in our Assembly of conservatives, of Republicans. And now that the joint finance process is, is the wheels are beginning to turn, we need to do what we as conservatives, what we as the Republicans believe is a good budget. And I think we start from actual budget, not from base from the last budget, because you know some of these agencies didn't spend all their money, and that's quite frankly why we have a, a surplus. And we, we existed without any issues in this state. Things got along fine. So we need to start with that actual budget, and we need to look at what we truly are expecting in, in real growth and you know, with our surplus, and that's the money we need to decide how we're going to spend. We cannot go over that amount. And as Republicans and conservatives, we have to construct a, a budget that's within those parameters that we can stand up, be proud of, and that we'll see that it is good for all citizens in the state of Wisconsin. So that's really how, how I think we need to you know, begin this process. State Senator Dewey Strobel, Republican Sockville, joining us in this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Will conservatives stand together? We, we know it's pretty clear leadership has said 
we're going to have to rebuild this budget. We're going to have to do this in the Joint Finance Committee process. Um, there's, there are too many non-starters here. We're going to have to start from the beginning. Um, it is often said that a governor gets as much as 90% of what he wants in a budget. If this governor gets 90% of what he's asking for, then the taxpayers are going to be on the hook a lot. If this governor gets 70% of what he's yeah. asking for. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is, will conservatives stand together to um, make sure that a fiscally responsible spending plan comes out in the next two years? I'll answer that question, but you talk about the taxpayers, mm -hmm. you know, if, if this comes to be even a portion of this budget, but it's also our economy, it's our jobs, yeah. it's, it's the ability for someone to support their family. It's not just about taxpayers, it's about everybody. But will we be able to hang together? I can't say for sure, I sure hope so. I know it's what we campaign on all the time, but the last thing I want to start doing is getting into a situation where it's let's make a deal with Tony Evers. Uh, we need to do an unadulterated budget that we believe in and that we can be unified on. And then we're, we need to hand that over to Tony Evers and then we need to see how Tony Evers is going to react. We all know he has an extremely powerful veto pen mm -hmm. or he might decide just to veto the entire budget. But as far as I'm concerned, we put out a budget that we can stand and be proud of, and then the fireworks will begin, I guess is really what we're going to be saying here. And uh, it's going to be on him to tell us what we did wrong and, again, what his biggest priorities are. And he's going to have to support those, and he's going to have to win uh, um, public opinion to get that done if he's going to not be considered. You know. Tony Evers came in as the, the happy, friendly grandpa that everybody liked, you know. Well, we see by this budget, I mean, it, it, it makes you think Jim Doyle wasn't actually that bad of a guy if you really look at this budget. So, you know, Tony's, Tony Evers' image that got him elected, it was a fallacy because when we look at this document that his administration has produced, it's anything but happy, friendly, and nonpartisan. It is as partisan as you can imagine and as liberal as it can get. We have seen the budget battle already begun. Uh, it's going to get a lot more pitched moving forward. Uh, we all know that. But this budget plan released Thursday is really just the beginning. It's the big part of it. But we haven't seen capital improvement projects yet. We haven't seen that capital budget yet. Yesterday, we have the governor talking about $30 million in taxpayer money going into the city of Madison for the Alliant Energy Center. That's going to benefit, according to the governor, everybody in the state of Wisconsin. I live in Madison. I don't know if I can make that argument um, as far as that project is concerned. I can't say that it's going to benefit the people in Sockville. I can't say it's going to benefit the people in Superior. But he's all in on that. Uh, we're talking about potentially hundreds of millions of dollars more for deferred maintenance at the university. What's that budget going to look like? Are you concerned uh, about the kinds of capital projects that will be included in the Evers spending plan moving forward? I am, because when you elect a, a politician, you expect them to prioritize. That's their job. Mm -hmm. They can't be everything to everybody because, again, it's the private sector that fills the coffers of our government to be able to do what they do. And if you just throw everything and and accept the kitchen sink at them, they just can't handle it. And then we're going to, we compete with 50 other states. And if this isn't a positive environment to be in, then 
we will see exactly the opposite of what we've seen in the last eight years. Employers start to leave, people start to leave, and then it's just a vicious circle going down. And uh, so you have to have constraints, you have to have, to have control, and uh, right now I'm just not seeing a governor that has really put out a serious budget or has taken a serious approach to what we're trying to do in this state. Final question for you, at least the final of the uh, serious questions. We'll get to our favorite segment that we like to do with lawmakers and newsmakers uh, called Five Fast Questions coming up momentarily. But until we get there, this, is there anything in the Evers budget document that you can say, that you look at and you say, okay, that represents some basic taxpayer protection values? I've always been concerned about the proliferation of TIFs in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, they were supposed to be designed to benefit taxpayers. I think now it's more a situation of crony capitalism and oftentimes picking winners and losers. And I must admit there are a few things in this budget that help to address some of my concerns regarding TIFs. So I'll give, uh, I'll give the governor a little credit there. Uh, unfortunately, that's probably about 10 sentences in a very large document. <laughs> a very, very large document. There is the other area. I'm just, uh, just a follow-up to that. Uh, the governor at least makes an overture or an opening step toward minimum markup repeal. Um, it, and, and I think the, the numbers don't quite add up to what he's talked about, at least publicly about it, but within the transportation side of things, he would remove the, uh, the minimum markup on gasoline. He says that's a 14 cent savings built in. I don't know yeah. if the numbers add up, well, but how, how do you feel about that? Well, that I, I, um, I think we need to repeal the minimum markup. I've never been so bold as to put a number to it um, because quite frankly, I don't even think it's really enforced uniformly at all, to tell you the truth. So um, I don't think we can put a number to it, but I, it's an antiquated process. It's how, why in the world should government be telling private business what they can and, can, can and can't sell something for? Um, but unfortunately, the, the logic Tony Evers comes about with is, well, let's repeal it so we can raise taxes. You know, that to me is um, some pretty flawed thinking there. Um, do I agree with repealing the minimum market? Absolutely. Uh, do I relate it any, in any way whatsoever to a rationalization for increasing taxes? No way. Seems to be a theme here uh, with the, the governor. Um, we know by his particular tax relief package that he raises taxes to cut taxes somewhere seems uh, consistent with the transportation, the gas tax issue as well. Um, and I think we'll see more of those kinds of themes as we move forward. How else are you going to pay for this budget, I guess, is the question. Well, that's called redistribution, Matt. Redistribution. <laughs> somebody's always redistributing uh, somebody's money somewhere, that's for sure, and uh, liberals love that. Let's go to five fast questions. Are you familiar with this uh, segment that we do at MacGyver Newsmakers? Just a little bit. All right, very good. You don't have to give too much thought to these things because obviously there wasn't a lot of thought put into <laughs> writing the questions, but uh, we like to have fun with our lawmakers. So here we go. Five fast questions. Number one, sir. Captain Crunch, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, where do you stand? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'd agree with you. Although the captain can make it happen. 
who's the greatest statesman in American politics today? Who's the biggest tool? Well, I'm going to go with our president. Mm -hmm. As much as I had concerns before he was elected, he has been anything. Uh, he's been a very, very uh, pleasant surprise. So as far as, uh, you know, getting results, he's gotten results. Mm -hmm. So he's my guy for the top person in politics today that's getting things done. As far as the biggest tool, I mean, it's got to be Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> I mean, she is, even seeing how she's handling her caucus now, it's about it, doing the right thing is totally irrelevant. Maintaining one's power is what it's all about. And I think it's quite apparent how she's doing her, going about her job. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that ultimately plays out for their caucus over there, there in go. our Congress. Yeah, so far she may be the only Democrat, along with Sherrod Brown, who's not running for president on their side of the aisle. Uh, number three, do you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain? I do not like pina coladas, and I would prefer to have a raincoat. I agree with you. That's just common sense. That's good conservative <laughs> values right there. Who's the real genius, Joey uh, Fallone or Joey McIntyre? To show you how uninformed I are, am on pop culture, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I, as I understand it, my research, and th these, these are songs <laughs> not in, and these are folks not in my musical library, but one is part of In Sync, I believe, Chris Rochester, our fine producer. The other is I have no idea. the other boy band. Uh, it's something involving boy bands. I'd have to ask uh, my daughter in seventh grade. She'd probably have a very there you good go. answer That's for that. That's what you need to know. Yeah. Actually, and, and these guys were around, I think, uh, in the early or late 90s or something like right. that. Right. My so daughter, who is uh, 28, would probably know that. But she talks a lot to my daughter, who's 27. So she probably knows it also. One thing is for sure, when it comes to cultural things, our children know a lot more about, you know, what's, what's hot and what's not, what's, you know. I thought they were characters in The Sopranos. Oh, yeah, that, that kind of sounds like it. Joey Falcone. Uh, final question for you. Bic or Gillette? What's the context of that question? <laughs> whatever, context, whatever context you want, sir. Whatever context you want. I really have no need for either. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and don't forget now that uh, Gillette is the best of virtue signaling man can get. All right. Thank you for playing five fast questions. It's always a fun time we have with lawmakers. Again, uh, the questions were not written by members of the Algonquin Roundtable, so uh, you can uh, understand the dilemma. And thank you so much for your perspective and your time. This is going to be a very interesting legislative session coming up. It's divided government the first time in eight years. And as I said before, the budget battle truly has begun. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Matt. Absolutely. We have to have you back uh, real soon. State Senator Dewey Strobel joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle reporting.